0: Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at lifebridgecapital.com.
1: Starting a company is not a guarantee. So I was going from like a very guaranteed path to something that was taking a leap and saying, I'm going to actually start a business and I'm going to approach it from metrics and really have goals. And hopefully we get, you know, to, to being lucrative
0: doubling growth every year since its inception. That's, that's something we all hope for each of our businesses, right? We want to we want to double growth or more every year. That seems like a dream. Well, our guest today has done just that. We're going to talk in depth about how she's done that. Her name is Alex Moore. She's a founder of Graywell Capital, a multifamily real estate investment firm based in San Francisco. She's led Greywill Capital, yes, to double growth year over year since its inception. She builds deep relationships with investors, brokers, deal finders, and property management to acquire the best investment opportunities and primarily off market. So Alex and I are, we're gonna do, this is probably a series of shows. It's a longer interview than normal, but I wanted her to be able to talk about some of these things in detail, right? I wanted her to be able to talk about how she hires and who she hires and, and how she sets those objectives for each employee and even meeting cadences and even how she measured her growth. And you're gonna hear that, but then you're also going to, to hear us talk about that, kids a little bit. You're going to hear about what she expects in the market over the next 12 months and how that's changing what she's doing. Uh, you're also going to hear how she determines a reserve budget for her properties. I love asking operators that because I want to make sure we're as prepared as possible. I know you do as well. Or if you're a passive investor, you want to make sure your operating team they're, they're prepared, right? And so you want to know some of these things. So you're going to learn a lot from Alex in our discussion today. I have no doubt. Enjoy this series with Alex Moore. Alex, welcome to to this show. Honored to meet you. I'm just excited about the conversation just even after reading your bio and learning a little bit about you. I mean, a double in growth year every year since its inception. I mean, your business is obviously taking off and that doesn't happen by accident, right? I mean, there are some specific things that you have learned and put in place that's helping that to happen anyway, right? Uh, No doubt it's not an accident. I'm looking forward to just the conversation around that, how you've done that. Tell the listeners a little bit about who Alex is and let's dive in. Thanks
1: so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So yeah, yeah, my name is Alex Moore. I run Graywell Capital. My background is in medicine. So I've spent over 10 years in internal medicine as a nurse practitioner. And I always joke that I'm the travel buddy you want to have because I um, can do all the fun things. So I can prescribe everything, order everything. So I'm a really good travel companion and have a breadth of knowledge in internal medicine. But I fell in love with real estate back in 2017 when I started investing and have done a little bit of every asset class. And I think that really teaches you just through experience, the pros and cons of each one. And I think that a little bit of super superpower that not everyone does that. Um, some people do, and but some people just choose one asset class starting off. So I think that's been um, my background and strictly focused on value-add multifamily, it's really where I find passion and a lot of growth and, and excitement for the company.
0: So why real estate? What caused you to, you know, I mean, obviously you don't get into the medical profession, you know, just like one night you say, you know what, I'm going to go figure this thing out over here. Like you spent a ton of time on that. Uh, was there something that said, you know what, I, I want to go transition to real estate. I mean, what, what was that?
1: It was gradual. and um, because um, I didn't start investing in real estate as a way out of medicine. I think a lot of people decide to do a career pivot intentionally and choose to do that through investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. I did it because I wanted to diversify investments outside of the stock market. Um, I always talk about there's like levels of investing. And when you get to beyond the stock market investing, you've done your 401k, you've done you know, traditional savings, you're kind of graduating to the next step and you start looking into alternatives. Real estate just really fit that box for me rather than doing small businesses or small business acquiring. I just didn't really have bandwidth for it. And then uh, real estate checked a lot of boxes for, hey, it's potentially passive. <laughs> it's potentially um, something scalable. Um, and what I realized when I, I started doing it was that I really loved it and the transformation you can do on properties and the return that you can get from your investment is just fantastic. First check that you get when you refinance and you get all your equity out, it's like pretty pumped. Like it's exciting. <laughs> so it was scalable. It was something that I could take with me and do from anywhere. And that's not very doable with medicine. Um, As much as I love so much of medicine is really relational. And I I love that part of it, but it's not something you can really take and do anywhere in the world. You can definitely do a lot of real estate wherever you're at. And so I think that flexibility was huge for me. Also the ability to scale was huge too. There's a a ceiling you hit most medical careers where you're not really going to make any more money. Not that's the objective, but your time is really quantified by that. And so in the longer you're in it, it's interesting because my hours would just kind of go longer and I wasn't actually making any more money for that time. And so it just wasn't a really good uh, balance there. So that's what kind of led me to pivot. But it did take time and it did take a lot of is this the right fit? Is this what I am I ready to, to do a, a transition into it, into real estate full time?
0: I typically ask somebody when we're talking about that transition because most of us had to make some kind of transition like that, right? And, uh, you know, as much mindset as anything for most, but it's uncomfortable for most, right? There's some fear you got to push through all those things. And so I love to asking, like, you know, we won't spend a ton of time on this, but like, give us just a little bit about, did you receive pushback? Was there family, friends that probably loved you, right, too, that said, Alex, wait a minute, like, you spent so much time on this career path, and then you're just gonna pivot completely? What, Like, what are you thinking, right? Speak to that a little bit, because I love the listener that's struggling with this right now to be able to hear, you know what, okay, she's done it. You know, she gave up a lot to do this. How did you handle that?
1: Yeah, I think it was really mixed, especially since, you know, I did put 10 years into medicine. And I, my family was super proud um, for the work that I was doing. And it was tangible. I think when you have something tangible, people can understand it. They get it. Um, It's, it does take a transition period. And also starting a company is not a guarantee. So I was going from like a very guaranteed path to something that was taking a leap and saying, I'm going to actually start a, a business and I'm going to approach it from metrics and really have goals. And hopefully we get, you know, to, to being lucrative. And I think my family realize that there's an entrepreneurial spirit that is in me and there's, a lot of on my family side that we have a lot of small business owners. And that was helpful too, because they understood that metric from like starting a company and how bumpy it can be at the beginning, but how exciting it can be when you start getting growth and traction. And so first it was like, are you sure? And then folks started getting really excited for me, but it did take a shift. And also my peer group really did shift too, because I was coming from very heavily focused medical setting to, to having to find other owners and builders, that's a different community. And I think that's always evolving. Certainly being around other people who are building things
0: outside of a traditional career is very helpful to encourage you as you're going through this. So I want to, I was thinking about this uh, as you were uh, sharing that, and I'm grateful just for your transparency as well, right? Just being real about some of that, because it's, you know, I know a lot of listeners are thinking through that as well, uh, or trying to make that, you know, should I pivot? Should I do this? Should I commit to this? How much family, uh, they know their family is going to be against them a little bit, maybe, you know, at times, but if you don't try, you're never going to accomplish. Right, you know, it's just and most I would say are not just immediate like uh, business savvy people. Right, it's like okay, I've been in the medical field. You know, somebody may be an amazing doctor, or surgeon, whatever. But man, the, you know, going and starting their own business, you know, it's a totally different skill set. And so, speak to learning to operate a business because I, I know the listeners are waiting to get into this too. And, and yes, we're going to get there. I want to know how Alex has doubled this growth. You know, every year since inception, we're going to get there in just a moment. You know, I want to know how she did that and how she measures that and all those things. You know, moving into the business sphere from what you were doing? How did you educate around business and operating a business? What were some of the key things that you did? You know, it gave you confidence to move forward and say, Hey, I can do this. I can operate a business.
1: Yeah. I think when you look at the structure of a business, if you can boil it down to make it as least complex as possible, that's the goal because the more complex your business is, it's harder to scale. So for example, I'm a huge fan of the tech industry, but it's a really difficult business to know if it's going to succeed just because it is so variable, You're very intellectually invested in, in your people. And so like, you have to have really smart people. You have to have them very tied in you have to pay them a lot and you're going after an idea and rather than a physical asset. Part of why I really love real estate is that you're acquiring physical assets. So you really know what that business is and how it's going to perform and you can project those metrics. I explored many different businesses and decided that, you know, real estate was going to be a good fit for me, but I did consider opening up my own practice. And I talked to a couple of mentors of mine back from my hometown and also from Philly where I um, first practiced in, in went to Penn. And so after talking to enough owners of medicine businesses, medical businesses, I was like, this is a very difficult industry to have traction in. It's very difficult to grow. It's very difficult to make it lucrative. It's very high burnout. And my vision for building a company was I wanted to build the opposite of that. I don't want to build a pathway to burnout or a pathway to having to be acquired because I'm always redlining. And it also wasn't a movable business. It's very physically located. And then I also looked into product type businesses or acquiring a small business. And I think those are still on the horizon. I think eventually I, I would see kind of being a, a full shop PE shop with a little bit of everything, but really want to build out the gray well wing with multifamily first, and then go to the next and build out a, a kind of a whole portfolio of businesses. But real estate being so tangible, being that each uh, asset itself is its own business. And then having experience with operating each individual asset and each individual asset class um, made me feel confident that, okay, we have a path forward for making the profitability get better. It's just, that was kind of what it boiled down to is, can I get the numbers to a place where I feel like this is achievable and there's a clear business path for each of the assets that we would acquire. Um, so it very quickly pivoted me into real estate um, just from the fundamentals being executable. And I think a lot of folks feel this great anxiety over acquiring their first property. I encourage everyone to try it. And I know that's crazy. I think for some people to think about I buying their own investment property, but I think it's such a good learning experience. It really teaches you if this is something you want to do. And I think there's no harm in giving it a shot. A lot of folks are very concerned about losing money, but there's a lot of ways to pivot an asset so you can recover and finding the right mentors around you to show you how to do that and to just have a lifeline to call and say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing or I haven't encountered this issue before. That will save you from a lot of bumps.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. I appreciate you just sharing how you thought through that and really in quite a bit of detail as well. But I want to get to how you've done this. How have you doubled growth every year? And let's dive in and to some very practical things that I know you do, you've studied, you know these things. Uh, And I want the listener to be able to think through these things as well, whether they have one employer, whether they have 25. And here's some real practical things that, you know, that you've put in place that's helped you do that. Maybe you can speak at a how level, how you've doubled, you know, and then we'll dive in a little more, but then also how you measure that.
1: I measure growth based on total assets Um, and what those values are. I think when you especially are starting a private equity firm, it's hard to do your revenue at the beginning because it's very fluctuating um, and it's a lot of it's dependent on acquisitions and whether or not how your agreements are with your LPs. And so that can be theory all over the board. Um, so I do it based on total assets. Started with one duplex and one short-term rental that I, I acquired at the same time within a two-week span, like crazy story. But from there, it was once I would get an asset stabilized, I would refinance it, get the equity out and roll that into a new asset. I did a few 1031 exchanges. It was just very measured. Like this is where I'm going to go to this next one and get into the next asset and the next asset. Um, Also creative financing at the beginning was helpful too. So we had um, seller financing, which really helped accelerate some of the other asset classes that we did industrial uh, in particular really helped with that. And so that we could get into bigger assets than I, I thought we could. And additionally, it was living lean, which I think is a practice that we've done for a long time. I'm Dutch by background. We have a Dutch people are known for being frugal. And so I like to reframe it frugal instead of cheap. So we, you know, uh, live reasonably and basically funneled everything that um, we could into the business and growth. So that's been very intentional there. Seeing it as a long-term horizon and building a good foundation now and and really determining
0: where the next steps are just assessing goals and then quarterly goals. Okay. So a big way you're measuring it is like AUMS, it's under management or you know, and the value of those assets. Okay. You know, let's get into, I I know in some information, you know, your team submitted, you know, talked about like just creating clear objectives, outcomes, you know, internal metrics. I, I know often it's hard to, determine what those metrics should be, especially per employee, and what are they responsible for, and everybody needs to know what they're responsible for, right? And it's so helpful to have it written down, I I think, you know, for each employee, and and so everyone knows. Can you talk through a little bit about how you've done that internally and and what that looks like? And let's just flesh that out a little bit.
1: Yeah, so we use three major tools um, in the company. First one is Asana, the next one is Slack, and then we also use Google Drive. The way we really track our weekly metrics are through Asana and doing weekly reporting. So we have a a deal flow board that is pretty intense all the way from like, is it an eligible deal? Something that fits our buy box criteria to accepted LOI. Then it moves into its own deal board once we're into that accepted LOI stage and moving forward into PSA and due diligence. So we do pretty heavy tracking on on the board and each person is responsible for a different stage in that board. And it's clearly marked and known by internal, by each person. So uh, when it gets into the, is it eligible? That's that's one person's rent comps is another person's. And then we go into underwriting, then it goes to PM pro forma. Then we go to LOI stage, and then we go to hopefully accepted LOI into the next, the next phase. So that's been very helpful for us to have a clear tracking. And the, additionally, we have a Google drive, which we use extensively. So all of our SOPs are in there. How do you do rent comps? <laughs> (laughs) I know that sounds crazy, but like if you're offloading that to someone in your team, which you have to at some point, like you can't do your rent comps and I can't rely on my PM to do the extensive rent comps that we do. I want them to have all the information when we present to PM, like with our performance. So we have a rent comps, SOP. We have, how do we do eligibility tracking for deals? Cause we have a whole deal. Like before it hits our deal board in Asana, we have whole tracker in Google drive that tracks every eligible deal that hits our table. And do we want to take a look at it and move it into the next phase? So how do you do that? How do you source deals? Um, we have uh broker callback tracking. So making sure that we're hitting those and we do red and green lights. Have we hit, you know, enough callbacks for uh, each week? And when was the last time we touched by base with XYZ broker? Cause you never know what they're going to get. Get too, is like, the, you might talk to them one week and the next week, they're like, actually, I have these three deals that are off market, like take a look, you know, they might be crap, but you should definitely take a look. And so just calling and staying in touch is really important. So we kind of had that tracker too. And those are just some of the tools we felt have been really helpful because we focus very heavily on acquisitions as a team, because you have to look at so many deals to find one that works. Um, and it's a numbers game and it takes a lot of manpower to look at those, but I couldn't do it without tracking.
0: It's helpful to know what tools you're using as well. Uh, And and are those integrated? We use those same tools, by the way. Uh, But I want to ask you, you know, are you integrating those together? Maybe some workflows of how they work together just briefly, and and, then we'll jump down something
1: else? When we move a deal from our global tracker in Google Drive, like our spreadsheet, we will then link that to its own folder. So each deal that's eligible that we're going to be underwriting gets its own folder in Google Drive. And so that's linked in our Asana board. Um, so when you click on a deal, each deal is a task. And then each one has a link in there with its own associated folder. And that has the underwriting in it, has the rent comps in there, sales comps, um, the yardier or CoStar brochure, and then any other supportive financials are in there as well. So it keeps us super organized by having each assigned one have a link. Otherwise, you would just be hunting and pecking. Because Google Drive, one of the things I don't like about it is its discoverability is a little difficult. I know that other folks have transitioned fully over to Notion. I've tried it a couple times and I still like the functionality of Google Drive in a lot of ways. Tons of people have said they love Notion. So that might be a good alternative to people because I know that discoverability is a lot better there. I find that specifically integrating those links into the boards is super helpful for tracking those along.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Very helpful. I know you said that you're very focused on acquisitions. Speak to you know the focus on acquisitions versus, say, investors, capital raising.
1: You know, each company has to choose where they're going to put most of their their powers towards. And you can't do fully one or the other. You got to have both. But I know that there's certain companies that just focus on capital and being more capital allocators, um, I think you have to find which piece of the puzzle you feel is you're best equipped for and ones that you feel are the best for growth for your for your company. I have always enjoyed looking at real estate. I, I love numbers. I love looking at what you can do to businesses and turn them around. And I, I think of properties as businesses, they are their own entity. So mm-hmm. that part of it, I feel like is a real strong suit. And I've always felt comfortable exploring new markets. And, and I think that's another thing that I, I've grown to be really competent at it in a core competency. When it comes to capital raising, I I really focus on a few key relationships and then have been organically growing from there. And I think that's really helpful. Is I'm also more of an introvert. So I feel like I'm much better at creating those longer term few relationships rather than of the many. I do know successful introverts who've grown at like very like prolific capital raising platform. But for me, it's really difficult for um, just energy level to do that. And I know it's a muscle I could probably push into and I probably should. But really, I've been focused on finding the good assets to acquire and building that system out.
0: Uh, How can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you?
1: Yeah, I would, anyone who wants to reach out, I'm always, I love meeting new people and we love welcoming more people into our, into our fold. Uh, so graywellcapital.com is a great way to connect. Um, and graywell is spelled with an E. Uh, and then also I'm somewhat active on Twitter, trying to get more active, but it's Alexandra Seymour on Twitter. So either one of those are great. If you DM me on Twitter, I usually am fairly
0: responsive. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.